0: Like some pride got in your heart. Uh, You're jealous of somebody, a little envious. Um, Therefore, as a result, uh, an argument ensues, a friendship breaks up, and things begin to unravel. So we are talking about uh, seven deadly sins. So the the, uh, title of this series is Fatal Distractions, and it's based on Hebrews chapter um, 12 and verse 1, which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Um, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us by God. And so we're trying to look at what is that sin that so easily entangles us? Well, it's not the same necessarily for all of us, but there are certain sins that the Bible bears out that do entangle us and do result in, um, the breaking up of relationships or a marriage, um, a friendship, uh, it can create all kinds of um, residual uh, devastation in our hearts and our lives when we do not deal adequately with these sin issues. And we looked at the very first one, which was pride, and last week we looked at the sin of anger and what happens when anger get at, gets out of control and how do you learn how to appropriately, not only control your anger, but how to, to appropriately respond Uh, when you become angry. Uh, So today we're going to look at the enormity of envy. Uh, Envy. So like uh, the other seven deadly sins, envy is very toxic. It it can poison your soul. In fact, this one can go deeper than anything else. You know, oftentimes with other sin issues that we're going to discuss in this series, uh, there is a fun side to them, right? So I can get angry and really unleash on you and then feel pretty good like oh I'm glad I got that out and you know or maybe greed and you know you, you you say well man I get greedy and I just spend 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 and at least I had a good time spending or pride you know pride can lead this to all kinds of things that there's kind of a fun factor but envy is unlike the rest of the other sins we're gonna be looking at envy has no attraction it has no opposite it has no fun side envy is the Bible says, is like poisonous to the bone. I mean, it just goes deep, deep, deep down uh, within us. And most of you have probably heard the, um, the phrase, you know, you are green with envy. Have you, you heard that phrase, and where does that come from? And why is it green? <laughs> well, actually, the, that phrase comes from Shakespeare in his famous play, Othello. But notice what Proverbs 14:30 says on your outline. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots to the, the bones. You know what Hebrews 4.12 says about the word of God? That the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword and it can cut through the bone and the marrow. What, what the proverb writer Solomon is saying to us, envy is so poisonous and so hideous that it can just literally eat away at you to the point that it gets literally into your bones. It's just like it consumes you and it drives every facet of your life. So, what is envy? Uh, so, we use the terms jealousy and envy sometimes uh, interchangeably. Uh, but what is envy? How do you define envy? There are a lot of ways you can define it. I put one on your outline that I like, and it's the art of counting other people's blessings instead of your own. Right? You're counting other people's blessings instead of your own. In other words. You see what other people have and you're envious of it. You want that. You deserve that. You should have that. In fact, you, you don't really care if they fail so that you can climb on the shoulders of their failure to get what they've got. That's kind of what envy is. It is um, waiting for another, uh, wanting an, what another person has and feeling badly that you don't have it. Envy is a consuming desire to have every other person be as unsuccessful as you feel about yourself. So envy can be defined in a lot of different ways, but I want us to look in the Word of God today, and because it is Father's Day, I picked out a family, and looking at how does envy destroy a family? How does envy create havoc within the home? Uh, because we see several examples of that in Scripture, and so we're going to land on In Genesis chapter 37, if you have a Bible and you haven't turned there. So, envy is different from pride. Pride assumes that self is number one. Envy doesn't assume that, but it wants to be, right? So, envy says, well, I'm not number one, but I want to be number one. I want what everybody else has got because I feel like I deserve it more than they do. And so, when you see somebody who has something that you desire you don't have, you're envious of it, you want that. You, you would rather see them fail and have to give that up and give it over to you. That's, that's how insidious um, envy can become. Um, in the Garden of Eden, remember all of these sins that we're looking at really have their, their basis in the Garden of Eden. When God created um, the Garden of Eden, it says that there was, you know, there's no sickness, there's no death because sin has not entered into the realm of humanity. And God said to Adam and Eve, listen, I've given to you every tree in the garden. Eat freely of it. I mean, anything is yours. Have at it, except this one tree. So what is it they wanted? The one tree, right? That's what envy does. Envy says, even though I've got 10,000 other trees I can eat from, the one that God says I can't have, that's what I want. That's what envy is. It's, It's saying, I don't care how much God has blessed me, and how many blessings I might have, when I look around and see what I don't have, that's what I want. I want what I don't have, and I will not be satisfied in life until I get it. So what is that? That's comparison. Envy made the garden not enough for Adam and Eve, and so envy comes very natural to us. And what accelerates envy within us is this issue of comparison. We're always comparing ourselves to others. Well, he's smarter than me, she's prettier than me, uh, they got a bigger house, they got a better car. And so when you start, watch, when you start comparing yourself with somebody else and what they possess, what they have, how they're blessed or not blessed, whatever they're going on, listen, all of a sudden your contentment you thought you had went right out the window. And now when your contentment is gone, you're envious over what somebody else has and you think in your mind, I will not be content until I've got what they've got. And I've got to have it. You hear me, God? Got to have it or I cannot be content. Comparison is a killer. Where there's no contentment, envy fills the void. And if we're honest with ourselves, our contentment is actually what we want in life, right? We, we want contentment in life, but we'll never find it as we are comparing ourselves to those around us. You know, it's like, well, why do all my friends have this, this, and this, but I don't? I work just as hard as they do. I've done all the things necessary to acquire what they've acquired. Why is it that God seems to be blessing them more than me? Or why is it their marriage is so happy and so wonderful, but we struggle even though, you know, we love the Lord, we're trying hard, but it just seems like our marriage is always a struggle and their marriage is just like, it's just always wonderful and, and, and you know, just got it all together. And oftentimes, how do we come up with those conclusions? We're on Facebook, right, and we're reading other people's highlight reels. And we're thinking that their life is wonderful and great. Listen, I know people who have posted on, you know, for their anniversary uh, on Facebook, I've got the greatest, most wonderful husband in the world, yada, 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 and they're like two steps away from getting a divorce. So you, you can't look at what others have or that you think they possess and say, well, why don't I have that? And, and so now you are envious over what they may or may not have. Envy is disastrous because all through the Bible, especially when it arises within families, never a good good thing. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden tree. Sin entered into the realm of humanity. And by the time you get to chapter 4, one chapter, what happens to the two children of Adam and Eve? Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel out of envy. He was envious that God had accepted Abel's sacrifice, but He had not accepted Cain's. And out of envy, God came to him and said, "I'm telling you, um, sin's crouching at your door. You better get a handle on this." But he rose up and he killed his brother, out of envy. Um, When you covet something, Exodus chapter ten, chapter twenty, and the Ten Commandments. What was the last commandment? Do not covet. Right. What does it mean, covet? To coveting somebody's possessions or coveting what somebody has? When you covet possessions, it's really not about the possessions as it is about the kind of life that you think you will have. And so again, you go on social media and Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and people are traveling and they're, they're you know, they're, they're in Bermuda and a wonderful vacation. It's like, why don't I ever get a wonderful vacation like that? I, I work hard and I, but I can't do that. And so you, you read everybody's highlight reels and you become discontented and discontentment always breeds envy and envy always um, then begins to just like, just begins to overtake our entire soul. It's so toxic. Um, I remember as a teenager growing up, all right, I had, had, I had problems with acne. And then you you go to school and you see everybody's got this perfect skin. And you're thinking, why can't I have that? And so, you know, we, from the time we come out of the womb, we, we start this comparison. Even though we have great similarity in the same family, there are also great differences between those who are siblings, and we start that comparison trip with each other, and it just uh, absolutely drives us crazy. And so it was envy that caused the Pharisees to deliver Jesus over in order to be crucified. It was envy, Paul says in Galatians 5, when he, he says, here's what life is like in the spirit, here's what life is like in the flesh, and one of the things he said about the flesh is that envy, envy will corrupt your soul. So the Bible warns about envy over and over again. So when we come to Genesis chapter 37, and a counterpart of this is Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, and he's, give, he's giving them a message, right? He's, telling, he's sharing them about the Gospel. He says in that message, these words, and he's summing up, he says, this sums up the life of the patriarch, saying that the older brothers became envious of Joseph and sold Joseph into Egypt. So let's look at the life of Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers and see what we can learn about envy as we try to tackle this monster in our own lives. So here's, first of all, envy has a history. Let's start in chapter 37, verse one. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his, to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he, he said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in, out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And he had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, and, but, but his father kept this matter in his, in his mind now here's what is interesting about this in verse 2 it says this is the account of Jacob and then immediately it goes to and Joseph is 17 years old alright the the account means this is the history of Jacob this is the genealogy of Jacob now Jacob had 12 sons alright and so Joseph is son number 11 not son number one In that patriarchal system, Reuben, who was the firstborn son, would have been the one who received the father's blessing, and at his death he would receive two thirds of the inheritance. The last third would be split up among the other 11 brothers. But instead, I find it highly interesting. It jumps from the account of Jacob to Joseph, a young man of 17, who was tending his father's sheep. And so Joseph is going to be, obviously, the reason why it kind of jumps this way is that we're giving the account of Jacob, but it jumps to Joseph, the 11th son, because Joseph eventually, If I don't know how much you know about Joseph, but his brothers, out of their hatred and anger for him, they're going to seek to kill him. Reuben rises up and says, no, we can't kill him. Let's throw him in the cistern. We're going to bloody up his special coat and uh, tell dad that he's been ravaged by wild animals and they sell him off to a caravan of Midianites the Ishlamites, who take him in to Egypt they sell him off to Potiphar and there he's accused falsely by Potiphar's wife of rape he's slapped into prison for 13 years he interprets a dream of Pharaoh and as a result of that he's made second-in-command so when the great famine hits that area of of the world his family comes in desperation and need of food and there is Joseph, second in command over Egypt, and uh, his family come, and they do. They come, they bow before him. It's the dream that God gave him is actually fulfilled. And so, it is the account of Joseph, really, from chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50. So, here's the account. Here is of Jacob and the family's history. But here's the problem is that when you look at his family history, Jacob... Envy is interwoven all through his family's history. Remember Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older brother who was born. And so Jacob was envious of what uh, Esau had, which would be the birthright. So you recall that he swindled his his brother out of the birthright, and then his mother Rachel helps him, uh, not Rachel, but um, his mother helps him um, you know swindle the father out of the the blessing that is given to him, so Jacob receives the blessing of the family, and so there's this envious thing going on, and so when Jacob then is looking for a wife he um, he's attracted by a woman named Rachel and rachel 's father Laban um, says, "Hey, come work for me for seven years i 'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. he works for him for seven years and then He's thinking, I'm getting Rachel, and Laban says, oh, no, 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 Uh, Leah's my oldest daughter, you've got to take her, so he takes her, and then he works another seven years, and he receives the hand of Rachel, and so it says in Jacob's history that Laban became envious and jealous of Jacob because his herds were getting bigger and larger and stronger than his were. And so all throughout history, it even goes, you know, back again even further than that to Cain and Abel, but but envy ran throughout the the family, and and the family history. And here's here's the whole point of this, is that what we see through scripture is that envy is so rooted in the human heart that it always comes out in families. Um, Envy is so deep that here's what Jesus said. He says in Matthew chapter seven, What comes out of a man is what makes him defiled or unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness. I mean, look at this list. Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And so he's saying that envy is so deeply ingrained in our hearts that it has the potential of ruining our lives and the lives of our families. Because when we lack certain things, we become envious over them. We can become envious over somebody's wealth, power, looks, what they possess. Um, spouses, go. Through, if you go through the Bible, you'll see where women were envious of other women because some could have a baby and the, the other one couldn't or men were envious over other men because they were successful in, in their agricultural endeavors and they weren't. And so we see this interwoven all through the Bible in families and what about miracles and healings? I mean, think about this. How many times have we become envious of you know, somebody, we say, God, why is it that my family member had cancer, they were prayed for, you healed them miraculously, but my family member wasn't? And you become envious over what God's done in somebody else's life but has not yet done in your life, or you can become envious over the fact that you're still single, you're not married yet, and uh, it seems like everybody around you that you grew up with are getting married, they're having you know, all these celebrations, and yet you are still waiting for God to come through. When, listen, when you become envious of somebody, if you're not careful, as in the video you watched, you can start turning on people, even your own family members, right? Because you're envious of them. For example, I'm um, not a family member, but when I was in seminary, I had a professor named T.W. Hunt. T.W. Hunt taught music, and so all seminary students had to take a music class, not because I could sing, uh, but so you had to take a music. So T.W. Hunt would spend three hours every single morning praying before he did anything else. He talked about it often. He read, you know, he's written books on it. And so, you know, when I first uh, thought, thought about that, you know, first I was enamored. I'm like, man, this is incredible. I, I wish I could do that. And then, I, then I, Envy rose up within me. And you know my first thought was? Well, that might be true, but I bet he neglects his kids. Right? So this is how Envy can work in your hearts so subtly. Is like, okay, he's doing that, but this is the, the adverse effect it's having on his family. Now, I didn't know that. If that was true or not, I had no idea. I didn't know his kids, never met his children. Um, And so, why did I put him down? Because I wanted what he had, but I didn't have it, so I wanted to make myself feel better about myself. All right, so psychologists distinguish between malicious envy and benign envy. Malicious envy is, I will do whatever I need to do to fulfill the envy in my heart, benign envy is I can look at you and you're successful and that can be a motivation for me not to envy you and and hope that you fail so that I look better but benign envy would say, you know what, you're successful. That motivates me to try harder and be better than I am. You, you You get the difference? What we're talking about here is malicious envy and malicious envy has history in this family. It has history all throughout the Bible. And here's why that is so, so important. Because Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now here's what I know. It's very easy to weep with people who are weeping. If somebody's down on their luck and they're having a hard time, <clears throat> they've lost their job or they've got some terminal illness, we have no problem coming up beside them, wrapping our arms around them, crying with them, weeping with them, praying for them. But if, if, if somebody is, is um, experiencing great success and I'm not, that's a whole lot more difficult to rejoice with them, amen? A whole lot more difficult. I give you a little litmus test. Let's say, for example, you walk into work tomorrow morning and uh, your boss says you're fired and looks at your coworker and says, you're getting a raise and a promotion. You gonna rejoice with them? Probably not, right? You're ticked off at your boss, you're envious of this person who's getting the promotion and the pay raise because in your mind, you think, I work harder than this person, I've done far more for this company and I've worked here twice as long as they have, right? So, or if you're a a mother, let's say for example, there's six of you pregnant at the same time and you're nearing birth, And you have a miscarriage, but all your friends are giving birth to their children. How difficult would it be to rejoice with them when you just lost your child? See, it's easy for us, and I know these are extreme examples, it's easy for us to weep with people who weep. but If we're filled with envy, it becomes very hard to rejoice with those who are rejoicing because envy says, but I deserve that. I should have that. That ought to be mine. That should be me. I should... And off we go. And so why do we struggle with envy? Because our greatest allegiance is always to ourselves and our own personal happiness. That's a pride issue. All right? So envy plays right off of our pride, says, you know, I'm the numeral uno and I deserve this and I deserve to be happy. Remember, our culture is all about whatever it takes to be happy, that's exactly what I'm going to seek to do. Be life isn't that way. Life doesn't always make us happy because life has a lot of very painful events that come alongside us because we live on planet Earth. And so life on this side of eternity is one uh, un- unending kingdom conflict within us. Am I going to allow envy to rule my heart, live according to the flesh, or am I gonna live according to the spirit and choose not to live with an envious heart? So that brings us to the second point and that is what is the recipe for envy? In this family, there are four things that really come to the surface. What I mean by recipe is like if you're gonna bake a cake or whatever it is you're gonna make, you have a recipe, you have ingredients, right? So when you look at the ingredients of this family, you can see why Joseph's brothers were really kinda groomed for envy because of what transpired in the relationship within the context of this family. Number one is the natural compromise, or comparison, natural comparison. Um, It says, Joseph was a young man of 17, was tending in the flocks with his brothers. And here's the kicker, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, we compare ourselves to people all the time, right? We see things that are similar, we see things that are different. But Joseph's 17 years old, he's feeding flocks with his brothers, but notice how the author points out the fact that these brothers have different mothers. So in other words, here's the scenario of this family. You've got 12 sons who came from four different women. So as a result of that, you think there's gonna be a little sibling rivalry going on? You think there's gonna be a little comparison going on? Hey, uh, especially for Joseph and Benjamin because Jacob made no bones about the fact that he only really loved Rachel, only one wife. And so Joseph is the, the lead son of Rachel. She gives birth to Benjamin. She dies while giving childbirth to Benjamin And so here's the family dynamics is that you've got 12 brothers from four different women. I think there's going to be some problems. I mean, I was the only boy out of five children in my family and it created issues. To this day, if you ask my sisters, they will say to you, Greg was mom's favorite. I didn't see it because I'm the one who's always getting in trouble. I'm the one who's always being spanked for something. I'm always the one that's got a switch on his backside, but that's the way they view it, right? So there were issues because they start comparing themselves and envy always grows out of comparison. I mean growing up, did you not know when you were in school nobody was ever happy, right? Girls who had curly hair wanted to have straight hair and girls who had straight hair wanted to have curly hair and those who were blonde wanted to be brunette and brunettes wanted to be blonde. and. Guys who were jocks wanted to be like smarter geeks, and smarter geeks wanted to be like the jocks, and those who were both geeks and jocks, everybody hated them, right? Like, what's up with that? You got a double dose. That's not fair. So, the perfect family is not what we are a part of, and so comparison can breed envy within us. Now, here's what we, we know about Joseph. Well, I what did Joseph look like? Well, 30, chapter 39 and verse 6 says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he had that going for him, right? His father loved him above his brothers, got him a special coat. Uh, he was the firstborn of Rachel, the only woman Jacob loved. He's built like you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his heyday. He looks like Brad Pitt. And you wonder why his brothers are jealous. And then on top of that, God gives him a dream that he tells his brothers about the dream that one day you all are gonna come and you're gonna bow down before me and it's gonna be a wonderful thing. Now if you were the other 11 brothers, would you not feel a little slighted when you compared yourself to Joseph? Like he's the golden child. Can't do anything bad. Can't do anything wrong. And if that weren't bad enough, he brings a bad report to his father about his brothers. (sighs) Get rid of the kid. Here's the social pressure. That's the second aspect. He brings this bad report. So what's that make Joseph? A tattletale, right? why, Why are you ratting us out? Now, there's something I notice about all young people in particular... All young people need to feel loved and accepted. Let's just build in us. And when you were growing up, especially when you hit junior high, high school, you, you would do things you would not normally do, is what I call group thinking. That is whatever your tribe was, whoever you're gonna run with, You're gonna think like the tribe because you don't wanna be ostracized from your tribe because this is the group who makes you feel loved and it's the group that makes you feel accepted and so you you don't wanna do anything to ostracize yourself from your tribe in high school, whatever that tribe was for you. And so everybody wants to feel loved and accepted and so obviously Joseph had that same feeling but um, maybe it wasn't important. And so he has this pressure of bringing this report to his father. And I'm thinking to myself, why was he so brutally honest? Why didn't he just say to his dad, hey, you know, things are going well. They're doing good. It's all good. Chill, dad. Come on. They're, they're doing what you told them to do. But no, it says he brings the... Okay, you need to feel loved and accepted. You know your brothers already hate you because you're so good looking. Your dad's favorite... Your mother was the favorite of all of his wives. You had all these things going for you, and then on top of that, you bring a bad report about your brothers? I'm thinking he's not thinking well. Uh, I, I, I'm just, exa- you know, thinking out loud here. Um, I don't know for sure, but I think that he learned this by watching his family over the years. I mean, his own father had been been dishonest uh, with his father, uh, Isaac, and tracking, you know, the blessing. And also, Joseph was 11 years old when his sister Dinah was was raped, and so his brothers took revenge on those who raped her, as well as the, many of the males in the entire village. They didn't tell their dad about that. In fact, they tricked him into going along with this. And so, Jacob, the father felt, you know, slighted, he, he felt deceived, tricked, I think that maybe... Joseph remembered that all the shame that it brought up and reproach it brought upon the family And he's thinking you know what i'm not going to live that way i'm going to live above reproach I you know he didn't exaggerate the the report he didn't embellish the report in any way He just said you know got that things just aren't going well i just think that um He just wanted to be honest but his brothers obviously don't see it that way for them it's like pretty boy who's a tattletale We got to get him, right? So here's a warning here. If you choose to live as an honest person, oftentimes there will be a target on your back because people who are envious envious of your honesty, and when it, especially if it reflects back to them, their dishonesty, they're coming after you. And so his brothers are coming after him. It keeps reiterating what? They They hate him, they hate him, they hate him all the more and underneath they were envious of his life. Number three, partial, parental partiality. Again, not smart on Jacob's part. He, uh, he gives Joseph this beautiful coat and uh, why did he do that? Now, I want you to understand the statement that Jacob is making to his other 11 sons is this. Reuben, you're my firstborn, technically but you're not considered my firstborn. You will not receive the blessing. You will not receive the bulk of the inheritance. I've set that aside for Joseph because Rachel is the woman that I've only really loved and he's the firstborn of her, therefore, it is his. I want you to know that up front. Wow. Now, to put that in our scenario, that would be like, let's say you are a family, whether it's 12 girls or 12 guys, and it's graduation day. You're number 11 in the list of the family members. It's your graduation day. Dad hasn't done this for anybody else, but for you on your graduation day, after you walk across that stage and you receive your diploma, Dad comes up to you and says, man, that is a job well done. you worked so hard. you put so forth so much effort. I'm going to reward you for all the dedication to your schoolwork, marches you out onto the parking lot, and has a brand new Corvette sitting in the parking lot waiting for you. All right, this is what the 11 brothers are looking at. And we're talking about the Father's blessing, two-thirds of the inheritance. Which for Jacob would be massive. And so, like, it's like Jacob says to Joseph, You get the Corvette, you guys get a pat on the back in a discussion. And so, that was really not a wise move on obviously um, Jacob's part. And so, they're a little envious, obviously. And that kind of preferential treatment will bring envy out of anybody. And um, partiality adds the dangerous ingredient to the recipe of envy, and that could happen from, you know, a boss, a friend, a teacher, a coach. So the question I have is, why did Jacob do this? Why would he do that? We're told that Jacob, that Joseph was the son of his old age. So if you kind of flesh this out, um, When you look at how Joseph, Jacob had, had, had you know worked for um, Rachel's hand in marriage and has Leah another seven years to get Rachel, and uh, Rachel could not have children, so she throws in her handmaiden. Uh, Jacob has children with her. Finally, God blesses Rachel with Joseph and then eventually Benjamin. And again, Rachel has died. As we are reading these scriptures, she died in childbirth with Benjamin. And so Joseph was the oldest of the favorite, of all of his wives, and because of that, Jacob made some very, very unwise decisions that come back to haunt him. Because when Jacob later on sends them out to check on his brothers, Joseph, what do they do to him? They throw him in a cistern, they sell him off into Egypt, and they tell their father he's been killed by a ravaged animal. And so for years, Jacob mourns and believes that his son, Joseph, has died. That's what envy will do. Proverbs 27, 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Envy is a lonely sin because it only focuses on yourself. So what is... What is the remedy? I got three minutes, so here we go. What is the remedy? Here's a phrase that you'll see that Stephen said in Acts chapter seven. This is a phrase you'll read if you read about Joseph's life throughout the book of Genesis. Here's the phrase over and over that is used. God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. him. Had Joseph, had that not been attached to Joseph, I would have pitied Joseph. I mean, it's like, he probably would have been angry and resentful and bitter and, and just unforgiving and, I mean, just hatred could have just filled his, the cavity of his heart and every fac, facet of his being. But every time it says God is with him. In other words, no matter what his brothers did, no matter how their envy played out in his life, it could not stop what God wanted to do in and through Joseph. Please grab hold of that. Because sometimes we live our lives and it just shows that no matter what your background is, no matter what your environment, no matter what choices people have made for you, whether you be your husband, your kids, your parents, you can never use that as an excuse. You can't blame where you are today because of how other people treat you. Because God is still with you. And no no matter what other people do to you, they cannot foil what God wants to unfold in your life as his plan and his purpose if you will walk step by step fully surrendered to him. And this is what Joseph did. Fully surrendered to the Father Knowing that God's with him and no matter what situation he found himself in, he would make the best of that situation until God moved him to the next situation and the next situation even though the situations kept getting worse until eventually God brought him to the place that he had designed for him for his eternal purposes for the Father. So here's three things you need to do It's resist comparing yourself to somebody else. You've got to stop comparing your life to other people. As long as you do that, you'll never be content and envy will always fill your heart. God didn't create you to be somebody else. He created you to be you. And no matter what people say, no matter what people do, no matter how you're treated, they cannot stop what God is unfolding in your life unless you allow them. see, here's what envy steals from all of us, the here and now. See, if I live with a heart filled of envy, I can't, I'm never satisfied with the here and now. I'm always looking to the future, always looking to the future, always look, I'll, I'll, I'll be better then, when I get this, I'll be better, when I get this, I'll be better, when I get this, I'll be better. When I'm like so and so, when I have this, when I have that, it, it, you're always looking into the future and you, and you miss the here and now. And you compare yourself with others. Number two is you recognize God's goodness in your life. The Apostle Paul said while he was in prison, I've had much and I've had nothing, but I've learned how to be content with whatever I've got, whether much or nothing. Wherever I'm at, I mean, at that time, he's sitting in a prison, Roman prison. I've learned to be content. How did Paul learn to be content? Because he always focused on God's goodness no matter where he was. He developed an attitude of gratitude. As long as I'm envious, I have no gratitude for the goodness that God's given me in the here and now. In my heart, I'm saying, God, I'll never be content. I'll never be grateful. I'll never reach that apex until I have this, until I've reached that, until I've done this, until I've acquired this, until I've extended. I mean, it's just a never-ending vicious cycle in our lives. God made you in His image. He called you into His family. He gifted you with unique gifts and talents and abilities and made you unique so you can make an eternal contribution to the work of God. Contentment flows from an attitude of gratitude. Rather than comparing and contrasting yourself, always focus on what God has blessed you with now. Let that be the focus of your heart, let that be the center of your thought process. And then you'll be able to respond to others in love. So, when you fast forward to Genesis 50, and his brothers come and they have to bow before him, and Joseph reveals himself, how do the brothers respond? He's going to kill us. I'm telling you, he's going to kill us. But he's not going to kill us yet because our father's still alive. He won't do it while dad's still alive, and then dad dies. And then Joseph calls them into his chambers and they're quaking in their boots thinking, this is it for us. Listen to me. Joseph is second in command. A pharaoh was considered a god. Joseph could have taken his brothers and hung them from the gallows and nobody would have said a word. Instead, he loved them and he forgave them. He did not let their envy poison his heart. Listen, you'll never love others to the degree that God calls us to love others in the gospel as long as our hearts are filled with envy. You just can't do it. Because envy won't let you. Envy says, I should have that. That should be mine. I should be blessed that way. And until I am, I'm never going to be satisfied with who I am. I wrote this in closing. Envy will maul you like a mother bear will do if you get between her and her cubs in your relationship with God. Envy leads us to desire the harm of another person. We nurse grudges about them and brood over them. We gossip about them and we plan revenge. Remember, envy leads to violence. It might not be physical violence, but it can be gossip, slandering, Here's what James 4, 2 says, you want something you don't have, and you will do anything to get it. You will even kill. So here's the bottom line, envy never satisfies. It only leaves you wanting more. Let's bow our heads to you.